0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met
0: right after college. Yeah, and our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. We make it look good.
1: Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you, and provide some knowledge to other average parents.
0: We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: So welcome to Apparently. We
2: make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they to
1: Apparently, many parents, including me, probably need a reality
0: check. Okay.
1: We need a reality check to to realize how damn lucky we are. Yeah. Uh, I know it's easy for us to get stuck in a rut as parents feeling sorry for ourselves or overwhelmed with the pressures of parenting and family and and husbands or wives. But (laughs) this episode is going to be your wake-up call um, to stop and smell the roses and be thankful every single day for what you have, for what many have. Which is healthy kids, yeah. And today we're going to talk to someone else who and walk in their shoes,
0: yeah. So you know we've all had sniffles, we've had fevers, we've had a little bit throwing up, you know. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about kids who. Our kids don't have significant medical needs. Uh, they don't require home nurses or caregivers or hospital visits, you know, not vinyl. Yes. <laughs> um, and endless tests and doctor's appointments, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like the biggest thing that I really worry about is which camp I'm sending my kids to or yeah. uh, who to invite to a birthday party.
0: Or what they're wearing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're honored and privileged to talk to two parents today who are on the front lines for their family and kids every day.
0: They're putting on their brave faces when they're scared, putting one foot in front of the other uh, to fight for their daughter. Today, we welcome Kelly and Miguel Cervantes and their seven-year-old son, Jackson, who is a professional baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> um the name Cervantes might sound familiar to you, right? That's right. Miguel plays one of the biggest roles on stage to ever hit Chicago. Hamilton. Hamilton.
1: <laughs> and But today we're going to talk about their number one role and their number one role as parents of a daughter with significant health concerns. Thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you for
3: well, having us. Well, thanks for us. having us.
1: So, full disclosure, my kids have seen Hamilton two times. Uh, my, You were the reason why my son was Hamilton for Halloween and... Uh, we just love the show, but it, to be honest with you, in my opinion, the real star is your
3: wife. Well, listen, I always talk about myself um, in terms of like the monkey with the symbols, right? <laughs> so like, I want everyone to look at me, look at me, look at me, so that I can point to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, it the the the, the Hamilton um, platform that I have been given allows us in our you know uh, in our you know the unfortunate. Circumstance that we find ourselves as parents Um the hamilton platform Has been a way that we can You know turn this You know pretty crappy situation Into something positive or do Something positive with it so that's sort of The gift that we have Um that with you know with the whole Hamilton phenomenon, right? You well, know. that's a
1: glass half full attitude, and I like that. Yeah. Your, your wife. I, I read the blogs, I um, watched or listened to a couple of the podcasts, which we'll talk about later. But um, honestly, you're a, you're just a badass. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Truly, one foot in front of the other, right? That's
1: exactly right. That's exactly right. So, um, if. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and uh, Jackson and
2: Adelaide? Yeah, absolutely. So Jackson, as you said, is seven, and he is just a rock star and quite possibly has more empathy in his pinky finger than I think most adults have in their entire bodies, um, which interestingly is something that I have found in speaking with a lot of other um, special needs and medically complex families that um, the siblings tend to just have – Empathy coming out of every pore of their body. It's yes, just, it's a common theme that I found. Um, and you know, Miguel and I had just celebrated our ten-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations! congratulations. Thank you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been quite a quite an exciting journey. And then um, three and a half years ago, Adelaide entered our lives. And I mean, it was a very normal pregnancy. Um, Pretty normal delivery. She shot out like a cannon. Um, (laughs) Lucky, very different than her older brother, who we had to pry out. Um, And, you know, she was a little floppy at birth. And we were like, huh. Um, The nurses mentioned, you know, she's floppy. And I was like, well, all babies are floppy. They can't hold their heads like, what are you saying about my baby? She's perfect, right?" right? And we take her home and she starts to lose a little bit of weight Which can happen. Which can happen, but she lost well over 10% in that first uh, week. And we realized that she wasn't strong enough to suck. So I was nursing and I couldn't, I didn't know how much or how little she was getting. So we actually have pictures of Adelaide in a bowl on a, a fruit scale. Um, oh my god! Because we would weigh her before and after I nursed her so that we would know how much she was getting. You
1: never, yeah, with n- breastfeeding, you don't know. You have no I idea. I bottle fed swine. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, we, so I, you know, there was a period of time there where I was pumping and bottle yep. feeding every, and and then she sort of caught up and we were like, okay, things are, things are rocking and rolling. And then around, we take her in for her two month pediatric visit and, um. I have like horrible parenting amnesia where I'm like, how old was Jackson when he did that? Like, oh, we all do that. Like, That's yeah, it's fine. Awful. And we go in and the pediatrician was like, well, she she really should be holding her head better. She should be trying to roll over if not rolling over like all of these things. And so she recommended that we see a neurologist. Uh, So we're living in New Jersey at the time. It takes two months to get in to see a neurologist, which unfortunately is not uncommon. Pediatric neurologists. There's a shortage. It's really hard. yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get in. So by the time we get in, Adelaide's four months old. She still doesn't have great head control. She's still not rolling over. She cannot sit up on her own. And... We start doing a battery of tests, uh, you know, MRIs, and we start doing genetic testing. She gets a diagnosis of hypotonia, which is low muscle tone. Um, And then at seven months, she had her first seizure. And then... um, And how did you know? Did you... So Miguel was actually with her and witnessed a seizure. I got the call at work. Well, it was, it,
3: and you know, you think of seizures like you think, uh, you know, movies and shaking and convulsing yeah. and all these things. Like yeah. that's what that you know, those are seizures. But and you know, we've learned very quickly that there's many, many, many different versions of seizures. Um, so what I saw was just I pick, you know, that was picking her up um, at daycare. We were going to. You um, we were we taking
2: was, her to the doctor, she looked, yeah? We had a, she had a she had okay.
3: a, and we were going to take her to the doctor. Just and her face kind of went slack on one side, and I sort of freaked out and the caregiver was freaking out and and i said well this is weird and i said uh it was happened for maybe i mean it seemed like minutes but it was probably 15 to 20 seconds right sure they sort of rebounded and um and then we uh went to the doctor and said uh so we just waited called her doctor neurologist and said well what do we do here and we just wait and see what happens and we were actually scheduled for an eeg anyway on monday
2: It was just going to be like the next test next test we were going to do, um, you know, in the long list that the neurologist had ordered. So we do the EEG, which is, you know, they stick the leads on their head and they measure brain waves. And and we did an ambulatory one first, which means we were they hooked her up and we brought her home and we did it for 24 hours. And then we bring the equipment back and we get a call from the doctor later in the day being like, it wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. So come into the hospital So we bring her into the hospital and I'm working full time at this time. Um, I was overseeing an event department for a prominent restaurant group in New York City. And I'm like, peace, guys, I got to go be with my daughter in the hospital. And um, so they have her hooked up. And I think it was we were there for two days. And during this time, Miguel just happens to be. Um, on his third audition for hamilton so all like the hamilton piece and the epilepsy piece is so intertwined in our lives it really all started at the same time so he's leaving the hospital to go to an audition while they are wheeling adelaide out of the room to go do a spinal tap oh. and a couple of other tests and we're like have a great audition we'll see you when oh, it's over sucks. Um, I to this day have no idea how he managed to go into that room and sing "Dear Theodosia."
0: Oh my! God. For that audition. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, like, um, I'm getting weepy just thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know my 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 sister has. Uh, how old is Gabby now? She she Five. had she had a, a febrile. Is it febrile seizure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like right. when you have the high fever. And my, my sister was traumatized and that was just from having like a high fever and just one time. Yeah. So I can imagine seeing it over and over again is quite difficult. Well,
3: you know, you, you have to sort of begin, uh, and we started pretty early, um, you know, the, the, as a parent, uh, anything that happens you know, to your kid is going to be the worst thing that you've ever experienced, right? Sure. right? If they so, fall down and scrape well, their and knee, oh, you're, like, you're like... And you're like, out of your mind. So when we get these first uh, EEG results... And the word epilepsy comes into our life. Uh, it wasn't, she hadn't had any big seizures. It was just sort of like epileptiform activity, you know, da, 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 sort of like words that are, and we go down Google holes all the time. Oh, good God. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: the worst. Don't yeah, do it. <laughs> don't do that.
3: Um, so, so, you know, our perception of normal right there began to get skewed. Right. Um, as we're like, oh, we're going, we're not going to tests and we're going to go to this and we're going to start. And so, you, you know, the, the the trajectory of her life and our life begins to go off the normal path, hoping that we can get back down there at some sure. point um, at the very beginning, you know, and then so... Uh,
2: I think we were still hopeful that we could get her back to a semi-normal place yeah, well, that, until you know, she was like...
3: We, at the very beginning, like yeah. what, what I'm saying is that um, once this sort of... Journey begins For any I think I can only speak for ourselves though You know You begin to understand A different set of rules And a different sort of You know I guess you have to You have to say acceptance Because we are going to accept Everything that we have to To get To do what we have to do And so You know it, it's sort of, it's all it's all relative, right? It's all relative sure. to your own life. That's
1: your normal. Yeah. Exactly. You and find we, your that, new that normal. And that is something
3: that we will talk more about as, as, this, as our journey continues. Uh, but, you know, we begin to find a new normal immediately in these days as we're saying, oh, well, okay, more doctors, more tests, more. And then as more and more results begin to pile up. More symptoms, more symptoms, and then all of a sudden, I bet you so,
1: you learned a
2: lot of medical jargon uh, that you never ooh. dreamed you would ever have to yeah. deal with. I joke that I have a PhD in Adelaide. Yeah, like I may not. I you know I am I am Doctor Mom of Adelaide, sure. and um and I take a lot. Of, I realized very early on that if I. Am in a hospital room with other medical professionals, doctors, specialists, and I use their lingo, their jargon. They take me much more seriously, and I can get more information out if of them. You take notes. Um, I used to. I have binders and binders in Adelaide's room where I used yeah. to keep every test, and I do you know have every test result. Actually, wouldn't. Um, we moved to Chicago. Everything, um, the medical system in Chicago is much more um, digitized and it's all available. Sure. Uh, it was not that way with our hospitals in New Jersey, interestingly. So I had to have paper copies of everything. Right. Oh, yeah. You and have then, a lot of binders then. And then, but here, thankfully, most of it is all, all the medical records are available through like my chart. Or yeah, exactly. You know, so that that had been super helpful. But yeah, you, I mean, my... Human physiology teacher in high school would be super impressed, especially <laughs> since I think that was my worst grade in all of high school.
3: <laughs> well, and you know, not for nothing, I started the journey alone because she was working and I wasn't I was we, I didn't have a job I was I loved it I was awesome
2: we <laughs> I missed was mom. <laughs> su-
3: su- my sugar mama was going off to work every day yeah. and I was you know keeping the house relatively clean so I was taking her to these appointments and she's like well what did they say I was like well he kind of said this this is where's the pay I, said, I don't know it's over there somewhere oh my oh. god
1: it sounds like my house uh, yeah totally <laughs> I said, oh, you know so
3: you know I think we're all better off that we got to switch roles and someone <laughs> who had organizational skills and
1: you recognize that I, amen that- amen
3: I just and I was like there. I don't know There's some papers over there Ugh. On the desk You know Strewn I, about Yeah And uh, so now there were, they, they turned into I went to rehearsals And she got She went and bought binders so, so
2: he book. He calls me It was my last day I was gonna switch companies Switch restaurant groups Take over as director of sales For another group And It was my last day Of work With the company I had been with For the last five years I'm, I'm out to dinner with colleagues And Miguel calls me And he's like so i booked hamilton oh my god and um i'm gonna do it on broadway in the summer and then we're moving to chicago i was like i mean awesome incredible i'm on the commuter train on the way home from new york city to our home in jersey i can't hear you and i'm like like all of a sudden it's like The excitement, sort of, and, like, this is incredible. Hamilton hadn't even been open for a year on Broadway yet. So, I mean, it was at the height of, like, everything was buzzing with Hamilton. And just so stinking excited for him, for the family, and what this meant in his career. And then it, like, dawns on me that he's going into rehearsals. I'm supposed to be starting this new job. Our daughter has just been diagnosed with epilepsy. I'm like... I am no longer, I cannot take this job. Right. Right. We're moving to Chicago. I had to call the new job the next morning and be like, I'm really sorry. I, I know I'm supposed to start with you guys on Monday. I I can't. Yeah. Um, and so literally overnight, I went from being our primary breadwinner to a stay-at-home mom, which was not a life that I had ever envisioned for myself. Sure. Right. I was like, "All right, dive in." And I remember asking Miguel, "I was like, okay, where are all of the medical papers? Where's everything for Adelaide?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, in the office downstairs." I mean, the desk was just covered in papers. I was like, "All right, heading to Walgreens to Getting get some everything." Uh, yeah, to get everything I need and to get organized, and um, and then I was he was in rehearsals, and I flew out to Chicago with a friend of mine to try and find our home yeah where we were going to live here and to find a preschool for jackson and i get a call from miguel um the second day i was here and he's like adelaide's doing this funny head movement it's like a head bobbing but it doesn't it looks different than her lack of head control it's like it's really weird and you know she sort of cries a little afterwards and i don't really know what's going on and we were like we had knew to be on the lookout for new seizures she had not had any seizures that we looking back now hindsight's 2020 she was probably having other seizures and we just didn't know that that's what they were Mm -hmm. um but we decided that he should just take her to the emergency room um and at this point developmentally She was behind physically, but cognitively, she was there with us. She was smiling, she was laughing, she was making eye contact, she was holding objects, she was making progress in physical therapy and occupational therapy, and we had all the hope in the world that, like, we were going to overcome this. We, after that first seizure, we didn't think we had her on a medication. We were like, okay, she has, you know, maybe she's not going to be an athlete, fine, but you know, she has the potential for a relatively normal life here, and then. July twentieth, two 2016, um, they hook her up to an EEG, and they tell us that she has infantile spasms, which is a particularly devastating form of pediatric epilepsy. And I strongly, strongly recommend for all um, parents, new parents, anyone who is pregnant, um, go online, watch a video on the Child Neurology Foundation website, what infantile spasms look like. Technically, it is rare, but... Um, But from my experience, it is not as rare as it should be, Um, and it wiped our daughter clean. By the time I was able to get home 24 hours later, I took a cab directly from the airport to the hospital, and she was she was a shell of the little girl I had left behind. So, she had mm. lost, so her
0: mind everything. was completely
2: blank from it, she every skill that she had developed was gone. She no longer smiled. She no longer laughed. And she would get those skills back. ok. It took time. We would get them back two more times. They were erased due when with infantile spasms coming back, we would get control, so it's like a roller coaster, yeah. Yeah, and then sh- a year and a half ago, inexplicably not related to seizures, we lost everything again and it's never come back.
0: So, mm-hmm. describe a day in the life of uh, Adelaide Kelly Miguel, whatever. Um the we talked about you being a warrior. What when you wake up and she wakes up, like yeah. take us through
2: the day. So she it's interesting cuz Adelaide's condition is constantly changing. There's constantly new symptoms coming. Name a up. year.
3: We'll give you a year, and then we'll we'll you will <laughs> awesome. we'll, 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 like a month. we'll, we'll tell, tell you about a day in 2016 I mean, I versus 17 <laughs> versus 18. You know, okay. I can
2: tell you a day now. You know, she'll she usually wakes up crying, like screaming, crying, like she's in pain right now. Um, and I'll give her some meds to sort of calm her down and get her back to sleep. That's usually around like five or six in the morning, and I try and. And, and, you know, stretch it out until like 7 a.m., which is when Jackson wakes up and he'll come in and get me out of bed. And Adelaide has a whole bunch of meds that she gets at 7.30 a.m. And, um, you know, I get her out of bed if I can get her to wake up sometimes. If she has had a bunch of seizures throughout the night, she just won't. I can't get her to wake up and I just sort of let her be in her bed. Um, She gets a lot of um, she gets her morning meds. Um, She all of her feeds at this point are through her G-tube in Mm -hmm. her stomach. She gets nothing orally. Um, We had tried for a long time to try and get that back and the risk of aspiration. And it's just not worth it. Our nurse comes at 830 in the morning and sort of takes over. And that was life changing. It was about a year and change ago that I finally broke down and was like, I need, I help. need help. That I makes can't. perfect that's, sense. I mean,
0: and that's
1: really, but that's a hard step for a mom to, to, yeah, because a lot of times they are like, I got this, like, leave me alone.
2: Well, and, and like, I was so stubborn because I was like, I'm not working. Why can't I take care of my child? But it is, she gets meds at this point, f- at five different times during the day. There is the meal prep for her food. Um, I, you know, well,
3: the, just to to give you some context the nurse comes in and she says wait you've been doing this this is what i'm to school for yeah people go get trained professionally to do these things right. and she said wait you, you were doing all of this all by why? you know what i mean so okay clearly it, we had she had taken on this responsibility and you know me being the dad um or all the other parent um But also trying to focus on this other thing that I was doing, you know, (laughs) at night, you know, um, to sort of I was not very helpful. I was I was supportive, but I wasn't very helpful. So there's also the marriage part of a partnership where one partner is really lagging in helping with all of the stuff. I didn't know what it was. There were so many papers. It was all the things, and she was very, very good at it. She was very good at organizing, so yes. I kind of stepped back. I was like, "You, you roll," but whenever I needed to step in, I didn't know what to do. I was like an idiot, and so she would get mad at me. So that does <laughs> hey, not just help. Just so you
1: know, that happens in my house too, <laughs> yeah. and I'm pretty sure it happens in Anne's yes. too. So it's yes. very the idiot. normal. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then yes. you, you guys have Jackson, too. So, like, yeah. you know, there's a, a, a toddler you've got going on, you know, as you're in, as you're dealing with your baby. And then so I, I can't believe you lasted as long as you did before
2: hiring someone. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, you know, it's a bittersweet thing. It can be really hard for some people to get nurses, especially with um, an epilepsy diagnosis. For um, whatever reason, insurance a lot of times does not see an epilepsy diagnosis as something um, requiring nursing. Um which blows my mind, especially when you think about the cases of Sudep, which has just with the incredibly unfortunate um, death of the Disney star Cameron Boyce. Yeah, um, these these seizures; these kids are really susceptible in the middle of the night. Right. We have night nursing now, um, two to three nights a week, so that I can actually sleep through the night. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I'm. We also have Adelaide; she's connected to so many you know, monitors and alarms at night. So I know if she stops breathing, I know if her heart rate goes too low or too high. And right. um, But it is, it can be a challenge. Bittersweetly, Adelaide is in pretty rough shape and is incredibly medically complex. And she's attached to a ventilator at night and, you know, exclusive feeding through the tubes in her stomach. She, you know, across the board, all of her diagnoses that we have acquired over time Afford us, um, you know, four to five days of nursing a week, right. which has been um, mentally life saving for me and saving for our marriage as well. That we, um, yeah, how we how go how, out to lunch? Yeah, that's what we're going to
1: talk about too. Because we we're a parenting podcast, and we talk, We just did an episode about marriage, and how, how do you how do you manage your job, Miguel? Your job, Kelly. Having a son, taking care of your daughter, but still making time for the two of you?
2: We prioritize it. Um, We have nurse babysitters. Okay. uh, Oh, which is like a huge, you know, we sort of lucked out in that way that we were able to find some incredible babysitters who are nurses and um, so that I can still feel comfortable leaving the house. And
3: um, I mean, I think what we have, I also think it's important for. Folks, to realize um, in our situation that we have to acknowledge how fortunate, unbelievably fortunate we are. Now, granted, most parents' teams don't have one person who works. Some they do, maybe one person who works exclusively at night and one parent who doesn't work. You know, so usually there's a sort of a you know schedule that lines up or whatever. If she had to work because my job wasn't as you know you know we're as fortunate as I am and she worked during the day and I worked at night, we would have a much harder time dealing with all of these things as well. But but because she... We're afforded That she can stay at home And I We can sort of Work our schedules Around each other So that The scheduled time For the thing For the marriage parts Yeah We have to schedule They're scheduled Don't you worry All the marriage parts (laughs) Every part of the marriage parts We just
0: talked about this though. you Why would you not schedule it It's scheduled You know And you know
3: And it's like We have to And this and, and, And the things That we can sort of The things that we can Fly by the seat of our pants For a dinner or something We try to do those as well But mostly it's You know We have a date scheduled in three weeks and we have this scheduled the next week on Sunday and you know like those kind of things have to be part of our routine so that we can keep it normal for us and then we can say to him like hey we're gonna have baseball we're gonna have week, we're gonna do those things um
1: what about um you're talking about what about like for you work nights (laughs) so like so my husband works during the day I'm a stay-at-home mom so when he comes home when they were littler like he would stay home so I could go out with girlfriends how do you get to go out?
2: I get a babysitter.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, right. Because he's busy. And but yeah, and the other so the part of that question, too, is going to be how do you compartmentalize either when when you do get to step out or when you do have to go to work and, and be a character? Yeah. You know, Um. do you just have to
2: sort of put put it
0: aside and just know that you're coming back to it? Yes.
2: It's something that I struggle with i think miguel is much much better at it than i am i also get very self-conscious i actually wrote a blog about it um i read it (laughs) um about you know going out with other moms of neurotypical kids and i feel like i can be a debbie downer like everyone's talking about you know what camp their kid is going to or um a vacation that they're taking and i'm like okay We're going to go to Michigan because we can drive there and it's two hours from the hospital. And these are all of the things that sort of work into my brain. I'm like, okay, well, Jackson is going to these camps. Obviously, Adelaide isn't. We're not even talking about sending her to school because her condition has gotten so challenging. So it's my views on life and where i come from are very we talk about our normal it, it is our normal it doesn't feel depressing or downerish to me because if it did i couldn't get out of bed in the morning it's right. just our our life right but i get very worried that when i share that with other people who that it's very foreign to them and the thought of it could be very depressing i you know i get super self-conscious then you're like oh i don't want kelly to come around with us because you know and so i in those where there's like social settings where i do find those sort of issues to compartmentalize part of me is also very um stubborn and ornery and i'm like well this is our normal and I do want to bring awareness to it because there are different types of normal for every family. And, you know, maybe one of those moms has a kid who has some sort of intellectual disability or some disability that isn't seen or is on the spectrum or any of these other and they don't feel comfortable talking about it. But if they hear me talking about our extreme, then Maybe they'll feel comfortable sharing their normal. Yeah, sure. Um,
1: you wrote about um, in your blog about having a friend come over to the house, mm-hmm. and um, so I have a friend who had uh, two. Uh, how would you say uh, they had Batten's disease? They had Batten's mm-hmm. disease, and and going over to their condition. house with the G tubes and everything else. You know, that's their normal, and she's cleaning the the G tube and doing and just talking to me at the same time, and it was like seeing all the stuff for for somebody that isn't around it it can be it can be a little like wow and i was just like she was literally just talking to me yeah. like she was slicing carrots
3: i i t- i think about i talk about that a lot with people uh, who ask me sort of just sort of like what my viewpoint on it is and you know as a you know typical typical parent typical Person, Just person in general. You watch someone who is in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. or has some sort of, you know, disability or special circumstances. They pass in front of you and they go off on their life. And that's the last you will think about what they have done prior to you seeing them and what they will do after
1: yeah what their story is what
3: their story is and so that's the same as us we were just a normal family with our little uh, adorable child and it was that that's all that's our normal that's what we knew now we know what a what our version of that story is from the beginning to the end not just when you see them pass through your life and so the understanding of what a family a parent has to do all day long you know not it, just when you go out to dinner not, with
1: them um, and sit and have a glass of wine. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm in her environment. Yeah, I was yeah. in her. home
3: And you sort of realize that the, that the, the, the scope of what it is is pretty, pretty phenomenal. It's pretty amazing, and yet it just becomes part of how you live your life. It's part of who we are. It's part of you know the conversation that we can have with another parent. I, I do get aware that I have to sort of. We were having a conversation with a friend of ours who came over to visit, and we're she's cleaning syringes and talking. We're talking about oh, and then you know we, the you know we we had you know, all of these sort of ter- terrifying things have happened, and she has a little daughter and she's two years old, and she said um I'm sorry, excuse me for a second, and she goes in the bathroom and starts crying, uh-huh. and I said oh oh crap you know sorry like we didn't take into account that this is not a normal conversation that you have with. And you Most had already parents. been
1: there. You've already oh, yeah. had that, pro- like you already had that cry going to the bathroom yeah. moment, uh-huh. and, and she just was having it right there.
2: Oh, yeah. please! I have go into the bathroom and cry moments at least yeah, once it's... a week, like yeah. where I am like, this is really effing hard, and mm. you know, and so I still allow myself those moments, but then you like pick yourself up off the shower floor and keep going, right?
0: Well, and one thing you talked about at the, at the very beginning was the empathy that your son has, and that I think probably you have gained, too, because now, you know, and I, I remember vividly seeing someone in a wheelchair, and he was crossing like the street, and and I was like, he, he's going against the light. And my dad was like, God bless him. Let's say a little <laughs> prayer for him, okay? And I was like, oh, because I was not empathetic, right? But now when you see someone who has different abilities, special needs, whatever it is, you see that person. And I think that talking to you, um, one of the reasons we're so excited to talk to you is that we want everyone to see the people not just as they go by, but to think about what their stories are beginning and end.
3: That, yeah, that, that I think is, is one of the most important things that I've learned through this process outside of our bubble, you know, is to see someone who's having difficulty walking or, or you, who is clearly developmentally in a different place. And that's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to that mom. I want to talk to that kid. I want to feel, I want them to know that I'm comfortable. Talking to their child, whether or not the child can look at me or talk to me or respond, you know what I mean. And those kind of the those interactions with you know Hamilton fans that I can have, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't. I, you know, I'm not one to sort of when people are like, oh, can we have a hug? Can we have a hug? Can we have a hug? It's like, yeah, you know, it's, it takes a long time. There's a lot of people in the in the autograph line, but if someone who I who clearly has some sort of um, you know disability or something, I I'm in there. <laughs> I get in there first because I feel yeah. like. You just I, made their day I understand that
2: You have a connection with uh, Yeah And
3: there's, there's a more There's a personal connection As you know The Hamilton fan thing But also as a parent As a person As a, as a human being Right I understand this story A lot more than most Yeah And I feel like If there's a, a world In which we can help If Kelly more than me But can, can help people Understand that those stories Should be talked about And should be heard And should be you know, investigated and and learned and and some more empathy spread out. You know, could be couldn't hurt. Anybody. Not just
1: not just what's happening in your like with your doors closed, but out yeah. in the open, talking about it and making it comfortable.
0: And my my kids uh, at their school they call it upstanding. Um, you stand up for the people around you. You stand up for the person who might need you or whatever. And so by modeling by upstanding, then maybe someone who wouldn't have thought of it, they might be like, oh, you know, I should. I should look more closely at people who have special needs. I should look more closely at the people I've been ignoring, right? right? You know. So that's a wonderful message that you guys are giving us.
2: So tell us about Cure. It's, it's such a random, small world. So the restaurant that I was working at, this was before Adelaide was born, I coordinated and put together their New York City fundraiser and i knew nothing about epilepsy i knew nothing about cure or the axelrod's um and should a, we say what cure is just so, so you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so citizens united for research of epilepsy research in epilepsy yep. so it was founded by susan axelrod who is my hero and mentor and just the strongest woman i think i have ever met she happens to be married to david axelrod of obama fame yes. um oh. But she is a powerhouse in and of herself. She is, to me, one of the original warrior moms. Okay. Um, So she founded Cure because she realized that there wasn't anyone doing any research into epilepsy. At all? At all, for the most part. I mean, Is it considered a rare disease? Epilepsy in itself is mm -hmm. not. One in 26 will be diagnosed in their lifetime.
3: Well, then let me tell you something about...
2: One in 26? That's a lot. Or will have
3: seizures or have some sort of seizure disorder or something like that. And now here's the kicker epilepsy is not the diagnosis epilepsy is the symptom of something else epilepsy is oh. what you call someone something that happens when there are lots of seizures a lot of times we and you know here's the other part of this problem is that we learned very quickly in those early days that what they can do for seizures is so limited and terrible and the drugs are uh, and, awful and the side and, effects are worse and you know you expect a doctor when you go to the doctor these days to say Here's what the problem is. Here's how we fix that. It may or may not work, but here's the process through which this can be fixed.
2: Right. They start with the least – like they start here and yeah. then they ramp up to – Well, our, there's some of them. With infantile spasms, they go – because it is such a devastating disorder. They go They go, go big their, and go
1: home. Uh-huh. Go home. Oh, I
2: yeah. mean the drugs are terrifying. And, They're like and she could lose her sight and it's, it's like crazy steroids. Oh, you can't read that part of the but page. Not, <laughs>
3: but it's also not – it's not that – this one usually works If this one doesn't work We'll go to this one If this one doesn't work We'll go to this one Like most diseases yeah. Most You right. know Most treatments of This one it This one is like This one might work It might not This next one Might work It might not They're
1: throwing stuff up They're In the wall And see what sticks Because every uh-huh.
3: kid is different Every case of epilepsy oh. Is different All seizures are different Infantile spasms Looks different In different kids It responds differently To different drugs So we learned very quickly how much work needed to be done in the in the treatment of epilepsy, which is why, you know, this sort of became such an important part of our lives.
0: But it's also because it's the epilepsy is the symptom, but then to find the the
2: problem, the actual underlying problem is another whole sixty percent of people with epilepsy don't know what is causing their seizures. Ugh. How do you treat something when you don't know the why?
3: Genetics, chromosomes, injury, like no. all of these different can can cause seizures.
2: The yeah. hope is that with the um, all of the research that's being done in genetics, that that number will start to come down as people start to be able to get genetic diagnoses. But we are still so far from... So you get... They're like, okay, you have this one gene that is... Or a variant of um, unknown significance, or you... you but they still don't know necessarily what that gene does or why it's impacting. They still can, in in most cases they cannot look at that gene and be like, "Oh, well you should do this drug and it's going to make the seizures go away." Like it is there is it is incredibly underfunded. Um Cure is the number one nonprofit raising money for epilepsy research. They've raised 60 million dollars in 20 years, which is great, but 60 million dollars in 20 years and that's the number one organization raising money for research research is really expensive and it's right. expensive <laughs> that's it's like really, yeah. drop in the bucket so you there is an incredible need there and epilepsy o- is one of the historically one of it, earliest documented disorders that there is but there has always been intense stigma around it from you know thinking that people were possessed or right. um you know, it's just it's a seizures are scary to watch and yes. people don't understand them. And so, you know, there is a lot of stigma around it and sort of, you know, there's some great organizations that have broken through that. Um, but, you know, our sort of thought is that, you know, wouldn't it be great? You don't need to deal with stigma if you can just get rid of the seizures to begin with. It sure. can cure epilepsy.
1: Right. So you're a fellow podcaster too. Um, Mm -hmm. You have a podcast called Seizing Life. Yeah. And, you know, we're a parenting podcast. I was looking at and listening
2: to a couple of the podcasts. You cover a lot of the same stuff that we do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just from a slightly different angle. Um, We do, because I am a mom, I, you know, some, a lot of the topics that I gravitate toward are more you know, the the super moms, the super caregivers, you know, recommendations for parents taking care of their kiddos. But we do a lot with um, different treatments. We've done episodes on surgery, on um, vagal nerve stimulators, which um, actually after recording our episode on that, we decided that, okay, we need to go do this for our daughter. Yeah, so do
1: you learn, like, so Ann and I learned so much stuff. Our whole premise is, like, we're absolutely average and we go and get the experts. So, like... When you do the podcast, you walk away and you're like, "Hey, Miguel."
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, every single time. I'm like, I feel like I walk in there with sort of a you know probably slightly more knowledge than the average um, epilepsy parent, um, but um, but I learn so much every single time from our hosts, whether we're talking about advocacy or treatments or um, experience in schools. Um, Or post-traumatic epilepsy, which is um, there is um, a huge problem in with our uh, veterans um, having epilepsy when they come home. Um, So I mean, there's just the topics are endless, Mm -hmm. and I, I have learned so much, and it's been a really great way to raise awareness both within the community and outside of it. And you know, I think our our hope and our mission is is that if we can elevate epilepsy, given the platform that we have, then hopefully that brings more money for research. And um, there's only so much we can do to help our daughter, um, but this gives me purpose, yeah. and um, and it um, this work fulfills me in a way that I never could have imagined. Yeah, I can. I-
1: i I can't imagine, but I know from my friend that uh it it definitely drives you it It's like something that it's like what that's just normal for me? I'm going to do this, and I'm gonna do this for my daughter i'm gonna I'm gonna find a way,
2: yeah, I mean, people always say they're like you know how are you know how do you do it how are you're just so strong?' and I'm like, well, we don't have a choice right right yeah. but also, and one thing I think that's really important to to bring up is. Adelaide is an amazing, amazing little girl, and she is just the strongest human being, what she has gone through, and she keeps fighting. And yes, you know, it's hard. We've lost her smile. We've lost her laugh. She doesn't make eye contact with us anymore, Um, but she looks in our direction when she hears our voices, and she's still fighting, and I tell her every day, I'm like, You know, I'm here with you and I'm going to fight alongside you as long as you keep fighting. And she does. She just keeps fighting. And she has inspired us. She's inspired so many other people. She inspires her brother every day. You can't see him, but he is dressed head to toe in purple, which is the epilepsy color. He knew we were coming here today to talk about her. Nice. And so he insisted on wearing the purple epilepsy color. And, you know, she has given us so much and I, I, you know, I'm just so grateful for her and for what she has inspired in our lives. I, she's just.
3: He, he, he can inspire. Uh, I think a lot of us, it, sometimes it's hard to look at your child or any child as to say, you know, <clears throat> how terrible this is or how hard this is or what, what a what a bummer. And, you know, I, I, I've talked about him in terms of the way he sort of views it and, you know he just sees his little sister right he just sees his little sister and understands that there are things that are different and that she cannot do but it doesn't matter right and if i think maybe we all could learn a little bit but they all a bunch of old jaded crotchety adults yeah um about how to look at kids like this like that you know through his eyes yeah it's a better way to see and for just a little while Is to say Hey you know we're We can learn a lot
2: From a seven year old Yeah yeah. Just so accepting And you know He doesn't He's Doesn't look at her And see everything That she can't do Right Or the milestones That she hasn't met He just sees her For who she is And loves her The way that she is And um, It's pretty incredible
1: A lesson for all of us Yeah This has been so awesome Thank you so much For um, coming And telling us your
0: story Um we hope that talking about it will um, build awareness. We s- certainly want people to know about Cure. Um, we want people to have more compassion. We want people to have more empathy. Be more like Jackson. I think I need a T-shirt. <laughs> um, and uh, so we really appreciate you telling your story and letting us share it with our our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think that even for because you know we have kids that don't have medical. Issues And by the people out there listening, maybe they'll feel less alone at home. Like when they are, they know that there's other people out just like you that are out fighting for their kids every day and their normal. It doesn't look like my normal, but um, to be comforted and being able maybe to talk more about it with their friends when they go out for wine with their girlfriends, like you yeah. said, you no, know, that would be a step in the
2: right direction probably. I'd Amen. Come, come check out my blog, kellyservantes.com because that's... Where I try, I'm always trying to build community and bring bring those moms in rural Georgia who don't know another family like theirs. We're very blessed that we're in. You live in a big city. We live in a big city. And we have an incredible special needs community and so many friends that are walking in similar shoes to ours. But, yeah. you know, to those families out there that are more isolated, that, you know, that's that's who my blog is for. That's I want you to know that you're not alone.
1: Absolutely. Perfect. Does Jackson want to say something?
2: Yeah, let's, let's get Jackson in here
1: Hey buddy Thank you, oh, <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for coming, I love the purple It's awesome
0: Thanks so much for coming, thanks for sharing your story Thanks Jackson, uh, we loved meeting you And um, we will, I think we'll take a picture So we can show everybody Jackson's purple yes. yeah. And we'll,
1: we'll post everything On the on uh, all the websites For Seizing Life and Cure And everything else we'll put underneath the, On our post when we, when we go live with us Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks guys. So, apparently, parents of special needs, medically fragile kids go through a lot of the same emotional roller coaster rides that we do. Um, but they might just look a little different.
0: Yeah. And it's up to all of us. I think one one thing I learned today is to offer empathy and compassion and to help when we can. So, um, and I guess also let's be grateful for what we have, Tracy.
1: Yes, it, absolutely. And well, speaking of grateful, yeah. <laughs> We're grateful for our listeners, so a special shout out to everyone who's been faithfully following our podcast.
0: We we appreciate it. We'd love for you to share, Apparently, with your friends and family, and we'd be thrilled if you left a review on iTunes.
1: Yes, please, leave a review.
0: Yeah, your opinion matters to us, so spread the word.
1: This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner.
0: And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently.
1: We make it
3: look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees. And take a look